Let's start with some tough love, all right? You two suck. Say my name. That's what the kids call Prissy guy with the mustache. You're listening to Inside the Gillivers, talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. Brought to you by the Royal Bobbles Collection at bobbleheads.com. For all your favorite characters from the Gillivers, shop the Royal Bobbles Collection at bobbleheads.com. Also brought to you by Rode Microphones, the official microphone supplier of Inside the Gillivers. See their entire lineup today at rode.com. Now, please welcome your host, Eric Broadbent. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Season 2, Episode 18 of Inside the Gilliverse. My name is Eric Broadbent, and we'll be talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. It's a great pleasure to welcome tonight's guest. You know him as Stephen Gomez from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, actor, comedian, writer, producer, commissioner, maybe a couple more titles, Mr. (laughs) Stephen Michael Casada. How are you doing this evening? I'm great. I'm great. Yeah, my wife has a couple of titles, but we don't want to say that out here. <laughs> yeah, I've got plenty of those. But uh, yeah, hey, Eric, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, you know, this is a great show, and uh, uh, you're one of the reasons that, uh, you know, we're able to keep such a great show like that alive. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing that we're, you know, we've been done so many years, but it, it just seems like we shot it yesterday to a I lot know. Of pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, th- thank you for the kind words. And that's the thing too, the, the show's never going to die. I mean, there's people, a lot of people like myself keeping the spirit alive, They're just one of many. And I've had some fans say to me before, like, what are you going to do when you get everybody from the show? And first of all, it's never going to happen because there's so many people. If I, if you're to get everybody, and I mean, I enjoy interviewing everybody from catering to the sound get the crew, you know, to the writers. We've had some great writing staff on the show. And if we ever do get them all, we'll start all over again, you know, and just keep it going yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, yeah, you probably don't know, but I, I did this show out here called the after after party. It was a late night talk show and I had a really great band and I, I hosted it and, you know, I brought, I brought in a lot of the local comics to do like comic spots and, and great local music. And, and then I had everybody that would come out here to film uh, something here in New Mexico, whether it was, you know, Breaking Bad or, you know, later Better Call Saul or whatever. And they would do the show and people were like, how did you get all those national you know that i heard doing a movie or whatever and they would come and do my show because they heard it was the cool thing to do in albuquerque you know and, uh, and so uh, uh, you know we we used it to train kids to work on television production and so you know we were using you know what we were blessed with to get here in albuquerque which was breaking bad and use that you know to help uh, you know some of the kids who dreamed about being in this industry, you know? So it's funny, all the kids that worked on that show ended up going to the film school of their choice. That's fantastic. That That's wonderful to hear it. And another local boy uh, down your way as well too, Peter Dyseth, who who plays uh, DDA Bill Oakley on Better Call Saul. I'm not sure if you've crossed paths with him, but he's been on the show twice and he va- uh, he's offered to come back again the next time, not necessarily to talk about um, the shows per se, but to offer advice on how to get the roles in, in these gigs. So very, very cool like that as well. Yeah, that, that's nice I, that you guys are giving back. I re, it's really great. I've always been that, right? I mean, people know know a part of my life, but you know, I've always done uh, the gang intervention programs here for a, a local nonprofit. Uh, you know, uh, I wanted to give kids an opportunity from the neighborhoods I grew up in, and tell them that there's you know different opportunities. There's not. Don't believe in that kind of prison pipeline, uh, you know, or graveyard pipeline thing that they try to sell us, but. 
but that you you know you could dream but dreaming happens with your eyes wide open right you got to get up you got to go chase it man and it's it's heartbreaking and it's it's not easy and you know and it's, and it's supposed to be challenging you know and uh, nothing's easy right and mm-hmm. so you talk about that and we were able to you know do those sorts of programs and that's what got me involved in always finding out who funds it where the money comes from and you know and all that and so my journey has been a, a dual journey you know comedian actor producer and then you know community person right community uh I, not really an activist per se but you know somebody who like to community programs and programming for people and then eventually you know found myself on the on the board of education for Albuquerque Public Schools, and then I just started my second term as county commissioner here in Bernalillo County in Albuquerque, New Mexico, just because I want to fight for those dollars. I want to fight for those programs, and you know those decisions are made up on that dais, and I wanted to be sitting there, and so uh, kind of really put my career on hold uh, for a little bit here because it's so time consuming, but it's the right thing for me to do uh, to give back, not only, you know, from the blessings that Vince Gilligan gave me when he casted me as Gomez and Breaking Bad, but, uh, you know, but the, the community was supported me as a comedian all these years. Right. And so this is, this was my way to give back. And then when I'm done with this term, I, I've done my time the way I tell everybody, I'm just going to concentrate on comedy and, you know, and, and acting when somebody allows me to do that. And, uh, but comedy is how I make my living. Uh, I, I'm about to uh, finish a deal uh, where we're going to shoot a comedy special in New York. Um, so, you know, my comedy career uh, looks very promising at this point. And, uh, you know, I was just in Cleveland. I'm going to be in Chicago next month. Um, so, uh, you know, COVID put a kind of a damper on that for a minute. Uh, I've, I spent a year and a half in my backyard. Oh, my backyard, my backyard looks great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm like the new Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> right. Uh, I've got grow boxes and gazebos and pergolas. And, you know, I, I had to do something. I'm going to lose my mind for a guy who works seven days a week to all of a sudden going to not working any days a week was very hard on me and I and I always thought man I can't wait till this is over and I can't wait till I could just relax and you know what I found out I don't want it to be over I don't I don't want to relax yeah I'm still good I'm still good to to be in the game you know we're all learning we're adapting you know various various ways obviously with uh, the the hands that were dealt right but yeah. yeah, that's one of the, we're going to jump backwards a little bit. So you've kind of answered part of my question, but the first question I was going to ask you was more of a comment and a question, but you know, you, you went to high school in, in New Mexico, you went to university there, you're actively, you know, involved, you obviously filming in, in New Mexico and Albuquerque and uh, with the commission that you're working with as well too. I mean, something's very, very passionate about hometown. What is it about the community and just uh, the people of Albuquerque, New Mexico that, you know, you, I mean, you could choose to go anywhere, you know, if, on your comedy career, or acting career, but home is really special to you why is that well you know two main reasons you know my family goes back 500 years here in new mexico wow so you know when i tell people hey bro we didn't cross the border the border crossed us <laughs> right and we're like hey we're sorry man but we've been here forever and so the land means something to me the people mean something to me and you're right uh, you know for an actor 
right? You want to be in LA or New York or, you know, Atlanta, you know, there's other bigger markets for actors to be in if that's what you're going to do. But, you know, I'm a comic, I'm a stand-up comic and I'm on the road. So it doesn't matter where my home is. I'm, I'm, I'm in a hotel room, you know, uh, six, seven days out of the week anyway. Right. Um, so, you know, I wanted to raise my kids uh, in the land that is our people's, you know, culture and our, and our heritage, you know, and, uh, and I wanted to give them that opportunity to live here. And, and if they decide to move on to a bigger city, bigger opportunities, then, then they should and, and they can. But, um, you know, I just wanted them to kind of, you know, be raised here. Um, despite what you see in Breaking Bad, you know, I mean, every city has that, you know, so we're not unique to that, that, you know, that, uh, that whole storyline of the methamphetamine and, and the cartels and all of that, you know, people automatically think, well, border cities, you know, people, cities closer to the border, but you know, these, these problems are everywhere. And I know that because I'm in a different city every other weekend, you know, mm -hmm. so I could tell you, I watch their news, you know, I talk to their elected officials. I understand try to understand some of their dilemmas and problems and, and, you know, we're all the same, you know, this country is pretty uniform across the country for the most part, you know, you live in a, in a more of a, a you know, a rural area. So it's probably not as much there, but Albuquerque is a combination of rural and urban, right? Mm -hmm. Cause we have the real Grand Valley and there's a lot of farms and growing right through the middle of the city. So it's separated, you know, through a river, the east side is already developed. Now the new development is on my district, which is the west side. And, uh, you know, but now we have TV and film as a real viable uh, job choice, you know, here in New Mexico, whether it's in front of the camera or behind the camera. So I've spent a lot of time working with, you know, uh, how do we improve that? What are the incentives look like? What, what's in the incentives and what kind of wording can you do to ensure that New Mexicans get, you know, a part of this, right? It's better than just being uh, a doc where you come in and you make your movie and then, you, you know, and then you go and then the money doesn't really stay in New Mexico, but yet we give you 25% or 30% back of the money that you spend. Uh, you know, how do we how do we become our own self-contained, uh, uh, viable competitor in the film and television industry? And that's by, you know, having producers and writers and executive producers and directors and actors and camera guys and all those guys, you know, who live here and be able to, uh, you know, make connections in Hollywood or, or New York and, and, you know, and grow and grow an industry here. So we're not just a doc, but we're actually a, a viable contender in, in this, in this industry. Uh, and someone like New Mexico, it's, 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 it's huge for us because it's either, it's either, you know, um, um, tourism, uh, oil and gas, and now the film and television industry. That's what we got. And that's not a lot, right? That's not, mm -hmm. that's not a very long list uh, for a state to, you know, to survive on. Oil and gas, although it's very big and does a, you know, a good job here in New Mexico, it's really, the, you know, it's really the only game in town at that level. Mm -hmm. uh, but the film and industry and the film and television industry within the last 10 years, it's climbing, giving them a run for the money. Yeah. And that's what we want, right? We want that.
That's good. That's good. Well, good on you and good on the people as well, too, for for making a name for themselves. Um, There's a good super chat coming in from our member and a super chat from Rogava. Rogava says, just wanted to say your scene in the episode Face Off uh, with the Burger Flipper story is one of my favorites. Love seeing you back and better call Saul, too. Uh, What was your favorite scene? So we could, you could, I know that's tough. It's like picking a favorite child, but uh, I know as a dad, I know it's tough to do. But what would you say is one of your favorite moments in either Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad? You've got lots on that one. Yeah, you know, wow. There were there, it was just amazing to be there. Um, you know, as a as a comedian, I felt I got better every season. Um, I was under a lot of pressure all the time. I'm working with the greatest, you know, I, I thought at the time actors on, on the planet and 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 definitely the best writers on the planet. And, you know, uh, you know, you're working with Dean Norris, who's a monster uh actor. Um, uh, and so any any opportunity I got to do work with Dean and and, and some scenes with Brian were, were amazing, fun to do. But for me, um, I think as the guy who played Gomez, uh, my the fun one and it was the sad one was you know out in Tahajali, right? Um, and you know our final our final scene because you know here I played this pretty tough DEA agent, but I never ever pulled my gun out of its holster. Um, my character was never in any of the shootouts or any of the stuff that Hank did or, you know what I mean? Um, matter of fact, my gun in Breaking Bad was actually glued into the holster. It didn't come out. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. I, it, there was never a scene where they knew I needed to use a gun. So they gave me a gun that was glued in the holster <laughs> that I put on. And it wasn't even real. You know, we know they're not real guns. Of course. But it it was this fake of a gun that you could actually get. It didn't even come out of the holster. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so it was fun to, you know, have some action. Uh, you know, although it was mostly gunfire action, it was fun. Um, and it meant a lot to the story. Um, and it was really, I think, a test to think, okay, do people really love Gomez? Or if they don't, this will be the final test. And, you know, and after that episode, you know, I went to social media to see what people were saying about it. And, and it was great to read all the comics saying, I can't believe they killed Hank and Gomez. Because usually when people talked about Breaking Bad, they only talked about Hank. They really didn't talk about Gomez. Right. right? They, they forgot about Gomez as a character, you know, that had been on since the pilot. You yep. know, I'm not... I have, I have, there's only one actor has more episodes than me than, than the main cast. And that's Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. Well, I was like, that's right. Well, you've been in every year. I I mean, you, Skinny Pete and Badger are the only characters that were in every season of Breaking Bad. Yeah. So that's, you know, non-main, the non-main characters. That's fantastic. Yeah. 30, I think 33 episodes of Breaking Bad, two episodes of Better Call Saul. I mean, (laughs) that's a serious character. It is, you know, and. We were we were hoping that it, it would be a catalyst to you know a bigger career because that's really what we're all trying to do is make more money for our families and mm-hmm. have more opportunities for our families. Um, and I can't say that it it hasn't, but it, not at the level that everybody else has gotten opportunity. Right. And you're right, Eric. It's probably because I don't want to leave my hometown. I don't want to leave Albuquerque, New Mexico. I I think if I was in LA, I would be read more. Right. And mm-hmm. People would want to talk to me and my agent more. Uh, but, you know, my agent's very cool and she knows I'm a comic and she supports my comedy. 
And she loves me because I stay in New Mexico and we know we have a harder challenge to get work, but we get some here and there, but mm-hmm. I just did Magnum PI. I'm, I'm actually uncle Magnum now and everybody's teasing me, calling me uncle Magnum. <laughs> I love that as a kid. In this last episode, you know, that aired episode 15, but you know, and I've done some movie opportunities and, uh, but I, I really love being a comic. There's something that I love more than anything in the whole wide world. And so now I'm excited about, you know, preparing for an hour special. Uh, and, um, you know, matter of fact, I'm going to have uh, lunch tomorrow with Bob Odenkirk because, you know, we're really good friends and he's always been super great to me. And, uh, you know, he's like, oh, I heard about the comedy thing, man. He goes, we need to talk, you know, and who, who I mean, how lucky am I? to get to sit down and talk to Bob Odenkirk about a comedy special, you know, in good hands, He's a great, brilliant comedy writer, uh, you know, one of the best out there, you know, and, and for him to say, I'm so excited. And what can I do to help you? And how, you know, how do we get you to a better, uh, to a higher level? Right. And so, I mean, how blessed of, of a human being do I have to be, you know, to have that opportunity? Like you said, I'm just a kid from, you know, that had just a, you know, a dream of just wanting to perform and pay the bills. It mm-hmm. really wasn't, I didn't want to be a star. I didn't want to be a, I didn't want a big, you know, house in Beverly Hills. I just wanted a car that started. <laughs> just want to be able to go out and go, okay, that's good. Yep. And if it don't, I could call the dealership and say, hey, a car don't start. I need to take it in. You know, when you're a starving actor, you don't have those. No, and I know. a comedian, you don't, you don't get those. You know, you, you have to learn how to fix your own car and you got to learn how to do your own stuff. Doesn't even which matter. There's nothing wrong with that. But. That's right. Doesn't even matter if the, the doors are all the same color as long as that car starts, right? Hey, my wife can attest that our car before, uh, you know, probably about three, four years before Breaking Bad um, that we drove, someone broke the window on the driver's side to steal my $5 stereo. And I thought, why did I lock the door? There's <laughs> nothing in this car. The car's not even worth, you know, really, I mean, protecting. I mean, it wasn't a very great car. Mm-hmm. I should have just left it open so they could, you know, take the five, because it's more expensive for the window than it is the $5. Guaranteed. Know, yeah, and guaranteed. So friend goes, hey, man, we'll just go to you pull it, you know, or you can just pull parts of cars that are there, you know, from wrecks or whatever. And so we found the year and the model and the, and the window. But the funny thing about it, Eric, is that window was tinted. Oh, so one so, tint. We only had one tinted window on our car. And it was the driver. <laughs> and my wife hated it. Oh, my God. She hated it so bad. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's where that's where I come from. I mean, that's who, who I am, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, so all of this is a blessing uh, for you to even want to interview me is, is, is just completely awesome. I'm very honored that somebody would reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, we're fans. We, 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 we dug what you did in the show, man. Let's talk for a bit. And I was like, yeah, you know, and I'm glad we found a time where we could make it happen, you know, yeah. home this weekend. So this really works out. 
Well, you and I, I believe, are very close to the same age. And uh, and uh, one thing I greatly admire about you is is how you can recognize blessings. And I, and I do feel I'm the same way. I recognize blessings. I try to find the positive and everything. So that, that is really uh, awesome and admirable. I've got a, a bunch of Super Chat questions coming in. I'm going to jump over to those as well, too. Um, and now here's one before we get to the Super Chats. This is from VZ McCoy. Uh, says, Stephen and Dean Norris are both golfers. Have you, ev- have you ever played around? If so, who had the better game? And also your favorite course in the state. So me and Dean played a lot of golf. I mean, that's what I think we bonded more on golf than we did as Hank and Gomez, man. You know, uh, we, they're right. We love golf very much. We play a lot. We played a lot. Um, I don't think there's one better than the other. And I think anyone who out there who plays golf knows that you can shoot a, you could shoot like a 78 or an 80 one day and then go out the next day thinking you're like the best golfer and shoot a hundred. Um, and that's just the way it is. It's a tough game. It's hard to be consistent. Um, so that we would flip, you know, flip back and forth, depending on whose driver was working, whose putter was working, you know, so we're pretty comparable and that's what makes it fun when you play with guys at your own level. So, uh, that's the answer to that question. And number two, the Mexico's got a bunch of great golf courses, man. Now, even our public courses, uh, you know, and, and they're not that expensive and, and they're in decent shape. And, you know, I just played in a public one on Thursday. I played with a group of guys on Thursday and we played a, a Los Altos, but I think beautiful wise, beautiful wise, I'm going to say, uh, uh, Paco Paco Ridge, which is on the other side of the mountain. See this mountain behind me? Yep. On the other side of that mountain, there's a beautiful golf course up there, but it is hard and it's exhausting, but it has the views of a lifetime. Beautiful. Um, and then I just played in Hawaii when I was doing that episode of Magnum PI. Mm-hmm. There's a golf course in Hawaii that's called the Royal Hawaiian, which is in the jungle. And it, another one that's just so beautiful. Uh, but either one of these courses, you don't go there to work on your game. No. Oh, yeah. no. Bring a lot of golf balls and, <laughs> and, 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 and leave your ego in the, in the car. Yep. You know? it's, that- it's a very humbling game as it is. That's something I, I, maybe you'll appreciate. Um, I, I love golf. I haven't played golf now in about five years, but I love it. And I, I, I myself look at golf as a beginner's luck game for some people. It was yeah. for me. I, I w- did okay at it. And so what I've done in my life is everything I try to do is I don't try, I try to apply this analogy of golf. When you go out on the golf course your very first time, if you got a, a, a hole that's a par five, don't try and get a par three on that hole. Don't try and eagle that thing. If you get like 10, nine, Whatever, if you're, if, if you're lucky enough to do that your first time out there, be, be grateful for that. And next time, try to better that by a couple. Yeah, it's all about making contact with the ball at mm-hmm. first. You know? Consistently, every time you swing the club, that you hit in the ball. Mm-hmm. Then you work on, you know, direction, right? And then you start worrying about distance. And then once you can get all that in your bag, then you have to really worry about the short game, right? So how do I get out of sand trap? You know, what, what's a good putt? What's a good putting technique, right? And, you know, and speed. How do you, you know, uh, reading greens, you know? Exactly. Uh, I, I know people find golf boring. You know, most people mm-hmm. don't know the game, but it is the hardest, most challenging, uh, most humbling game that anybody will ever play. And people like me and you, we like that challenge. Exactly. That's what we like about it. It's the challenge, really. It's not, it's not the physicality of the sport. It's the challenge of the sport. 
I agree on that 100%. Well, in, in the comic circuit, we're going to talk about some comics here in a second from, uh, let me see, this is from Adam Strickler. But uh, on the comics uh, circuit and the golf circuit, do you ever play with George Lopez? Yeah, me and George Lopez are really good friends. Uh, we've been friends since the 80s. You know, I've been a comic. Matter of fact, he's the reason why I have a really decent, you know, comedy career before Breaking Bad, right? I, I did all the comedy clubs in the Southwest. He hooked those up for me. Uh, I play his tournament every year. I play the George Lopez, uh, you know, golf tournament every year. It's, I think this year, usually it's on Cinco de Mayo, uh, but this year because of COVID, it's going to be in October. Uh, and, and me and my wife love to go to that event and support George's foundation. Uh, but, you know, we've been, we, we text each other once a week and check on each other. And, nice. uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's a super great guy. And, and, you know, a lot of us Latinos look up to him because, you know, he did the struggle first, mm-hmm. you know, he opened, he opened the doors for us first. Um, that was one of the reasons why I really didn't do any acting because there wasn't really a whole lot of opportunity for Latinos in the film and television industry. You know, I, I said, joke, I said, hey, man, there's only one role this year. It's for Pepe. Right? <laughs> so we'd all audition for Pepe. Yeah. And then, but what they don't realize is you had 5 million people auditioning to play Pepe. And I said, you had a better shot at a lottery ticket, man, you know? Yeah. Uh, but comedy was more accepting of Latinos, right? Comedy isn't really a thing about you know, color or race or comedy, comedy kind of surpasses that, right? A, a character is just a character. A person's just a person. You mm-hmm. know, when people ask me what kind of comic you are. I go, I'm an American comic. They go, yeah, but you got a lot, you got a Chicano accent and I've seen your show and you talk what it's like to be about being a Chicano. And I go, well, I, I know, but you realize Chicanos are Americans, right? We've been here for, you know, we were here before it was America. Yeah. And a lot of us, you know, That's right. so we're Americans. My father fought in world war two, Korea and two tours of Vietnam, my father. So, wow. you know, my dad was the American. I'll tell you what, my dad, you know, he believed in America and, you know, he believes in the flag and that's the kind of man he was. And so we were raised as American only I could tell you comedy what I see through my eyes. Mm-hmm. That's the best comedy for me anyway, is my experiences. And as I tour the country now and people come see me, they're like, oh, my God, it's like you have a camera in my home. Oh, nice. I go, I know, because the human experience is the human experience. There's no color or race to it, man. Yeah. It's just the human experience. That's well it. said. Pretty simple. Well said. Well, next time you say, next time you're talking to George, tell him I said, hi, George has been on my show before. Not this show. I have, oh, okay. I, George was good friends with, uh, God rest his soul, Eddie Van Halen. And oh, yeah. yeah, so he was with Eddie like a lot. And, uh, so I had oh, him yeah. on the show and we were talking about, it. so yeah, George is a great guy. He took, really treated my son and I to a nice uh, VIP stuff and at the uh, casino and stuff, which was great. But here's a question talking about the comedy. Adam Strickler says, Hey Steven, uh, who are some of your favorite comics? Uh, and second question, is it true Dean Norris only agreed to play Hank if he was allowed to wear women's perfume while filming scenes with you? That is something that Dean sounds like he made that up. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wish he smelled like women's perfume. He didn't smell like that. Okay. Yeah, so I don't, yeah, I don't. I, don't know what that one. Actually, now I feel sad that he was supposed to be wearing women's perfume. In my, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to text him and say, hey, what happened to the women's perfume, dude? <laughs> Do me a favor and warn that for me, please. That's right. That's right. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, when I first started looking at what comedy was and what a comic was, when I first started in 1987, um, you know, I looked at comics. Um, I did, you know, 
I, I saw what Richard Pryor was doing and how he was doing it. I was, I watched, you know, um, you know, uh, Robin Williams and, and his style and how he approached and the physicality of comedy. And, uh, you know, I was a big fan of Freddie Prince, uh, just because he was, you know, somebody that we had never seen, uh, doing comedy. And he was, and, you know, he was really, he's the one who kind of cracked the door open for Latinos and in, in up comedy. So, but, you know, I mean, after, I, you know, I started my own career, started doing my own thing, I just totally stopped watching stand-up comics because, you know, I see them when I'm on tour, right? I see the opener, I see the feature. I mean, that's where I kind of watch comedy, I guess. Uh, but it's sort of like, I guess it's sort of like if you're in the construction business and then you come home and watch the Wood Channel, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And you don't, right? You come home and you watch other stuff and because your life is is – construction and wood and, and that kind of thing. And that's how I felt about comedy. That was my, my life. And when I was home, that wasn't my life. That was only out, out there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have bigger interests, you know, I'm, I'm a nerd. I like watching the discovery channel and the science channel and stuff. I should have paid attention to when I was a kid yeah. where it probably would have made a difference in my life. Uh, but now I'm just interested in it. And I just like to watch that and learn from that. And I watch brainless TV, like, you know, uh, you know, finding Bigfoot and yeah. stuff like that. And these rabbit I, holes we get into, I right? I love that one because, you know, it helps me write material. So I'm, that's part of one of my new gigs is the whole, you know, uh, Bigfoot thing. And yeah. so it, uh, you know, and, and that's where you actually write comedy, right? Write your own comedy and write original comedy. And that's not by watching comedians. It's by living your own life and, and learning other things, right? To be creative and, and have a different twist of what comedy is to you and what it means to you. So. Awesome. Here is a question from Zoko Santos. And we're going to jump over to the audio questions here as soon as well, too. So the questions are coming in steady. This is great. Uh, So Zoko says, uh, has your dynamic with Dean Norris impacted you to become more successful with a federal character? Also, any memorable memorable behind the scenes with Dean and Aaron on season five? So, um, I... uh, you know, I, I, I play every character that, that anybody will offer me and, and I try to bring, a, you know, a sense of reality to it or I try to connect it to, you know, maybe someone I know. Um, you know, I had a lot of friends that were, you know, not DEA, but police officers and kind of had that mindset and, and saw that, you know, it was, you know, they still have this cop about them. There, there's that slight cop about them. But then when they're hanging out with me, you know, they revert back to that homeboy, right? That, that us, us kids on the, you know, in the hood, man. You know, making our mistakes, doing our our stupid kid stuff, right? And then they revert back back to that with me, and and I felt that's what you know, Gomi and Hank were, right? When they weren't being cops, right? They were they were being people, which is more important than being a cop. And mm-hmm. so, um, I think I would appro- approach every. You know, if I was going to play a different type of police officer or an investigator or, or a federal agent, I would I would approach it the same way um, as I did Gomez. I think it would just be up to the writers to change the personality a bit, right? And the, and, the, and and you know, fill in all the holes and the gaps of the character that you would you would do, you know, through the writing. Uh, and that's what makes a different character that wouldn't be Gomez. You know, I've played, I've played some uh, other uh, characters in independent films and whatnot, you know, that were sheriffs or, 
you know, so if it's a sheriff and it's in Texas, you know, I do it with an accent, uh, you know, and so that I add a different layer to that. But um, I, I take every role uh, and look at it for what it is and try not to, you know, repeat what I've done as an actor in other other roles. Well said, well said. There's a question here from Cinema Dave, and I didn't know about this, says, I hope he talks about working with Rob Zombie. Did you work with Rob Zombie? I did. Did you? I, did, uh, I played in Three from Hell with Rob Zombie. Um, he called me and and offered me the role. I mean, Rob Zombie doesn't audition people. He He's fans of different, you know, actors out there, and I don't know how he ended up being a fan of, of Gomez, but he, he was definitely a fan of Gomez on Breaking Bad, and he really wanted Gomez in his in his movie, and so he he went through my agent, and he called me and he called me up, and I'm like, hello, and he goes, yeah, this is Rob Zombie, and I'm like, yeah, right, who's messing with me? <laughs> and, then he, and he follows with, um, do you think somebody would actually just call you and pretend they were like Rob Zombie? And I'm like, well, no, that's a good point. They could be somebody else, right? Anybody. Yeah. Why would they pick Rob Zombie? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so he's super intelligent, super smart. Uh, you know, him and his wife were just a pleasure to meet and work with, uh, you know, and, and, and we worked hard and, and that was a long, you know, that was a, that was a long couple of days working with him out there. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't a whole lot in the film, but he takes his time and he does it right. And he has a different feel and look and he needs it to be a certain way. And that's why he's very intelligent in that way, you know, but he's Rob Zombie, man. You meet him. He still has the shoes on. He wears those big old shoes on set as director and everything, man. He's just, he is who he is, man. He's amazing. I hear good things about him. My friend, one of my friends, Lou Temple does a lot of work with him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Lou's great as well too. He's a chameleon. He just blends into everything he's in. He's great. Yeah, and he likes that, right? He and does. So he likes working with people that he's worked with. He's just that way. He's cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, a question for a super chat from Gabe Montoya. Uh, during early Breaking Bad, Hank and Gomez shared race jokes. This is a good question. Uh, shared race jokes uh, to each other. I always thought it worked because of its real life. But what were your thoughts on it? You know, um, I didn't see Hank as a racist, man, even when I read the script and as I went. I think he wanted to be, he, he's trying to be funny, right? He's one of those guys that's trying to be funny. And, and so he would try to make a joke out of, of who I, who I was, right. To poke, to poke the bear. Right. Cause he never really could really poke Gomez to get him to a point where Gomez got mad or upset and, and it was written that way. And so we liked that, right. We liked that. It was more about being, being partners and being, brothers and being able to pick on each other and say stuff to each other without it crossing a line or taking it personal. Notice that we just threw all that away, you know, people loved it, you know, but we just threw it away. We didn't put a lot of time and effort into that, um, you know, because we felt that's what it was. It was written that way. And that's the way it was supposed to be because, you know, Dean in real life is, the opposite of, of somebody who's racist, man. And, you know, Dean Norris is like the opposite of that yeah. completely hundred percent non, you know, he's just a good human being. And, uh, and so he didn't think much of it either. Right. So that's why it played that way. Uh, but I mean, it's a good question. I mean, maybe I should have had an opinion on it, but I thought it was, it was written to a point where it wasn't, it was a poke at who I was, but it wasn't a poke about, you know, my people really as being, you know, all bad people, 
Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, so I think they did it right. They walked the line, and everything in Breaking Bad walked the line. So they always were good at walking the line. Mm-hmm. They, that's right. They executed that very, very well. And there's a ping pong match as well, too. So it's not just, you know, you're yeah. not pick, p- picking on a certain, you know, uh, you know, area. Yeah. yeah. Well, very I think good. It would have been bad if he would have like told me stuff and then I didn't say anything back. And I was like, yeah, like, it was his subordinate. Mm-hmm. I think that would have played. But even though he was my boss, I, he, he was never my boss. Yeah. Yeah. He, he gave it right back. Buck. He, he was the boss when it came to his title. Mm-hmm. But according to Gomez, you're not my boss, bro. Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? That's and I right. will tell you back if you tell me. And that's <laughs> what he wanted. Hank wanted that too, right? Oh, yeah. He needed that. He needed that for sure. Because that's the type of person that's going to have his back. Yeah. Yeah. And it always did. Here's a yeah. uh, super chat question from one of our members uh, from Jen Steven. She says, what was, what was it? Uh, how was it working with Bob on the girlfriends on the, the film girlfriends day? Uh, you were hilarious. Oh, well, thank you for that. And, you know, the writing was hilarious. And I just said, I was lucky. I just got to say the lines and, 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 uh, and be the character. But um, Bob Oakirk's a really good friend of mine. I have extreme respect for Bob. And, and, that, and that's what happened with me with him. He called me and goes, Stephen, I want you to play the landlord in my movie. And I'm like, okay, well, sure, you know. He goes, and, you know, this and that. And we worked out the deal and, and, you know, and I flew out to LA and I, and I, and I got to work with him and, um, you know, other than, than breaking bad and, and better call Saul. And, uh, um, the dude is just, you know, if I could work with Bob Odenkirk every day, I would I'll just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. If I could work with that guy every day, I totally would. He's a motivator. He's, He's very positive, like me and you are, Eric. Everything he approaches is in a positive, uh, you know, light with a with a good energy and a good vibe. And and yeah, I mean, that, I, I'd like to see I'd like to see more movies out of him. And if anyone didn't see Nobody, you have to see Nobody. You got to give him props for what he did in Nobody. And so I texted him after I watched it, and I, I texted him and I said, "Who should see Nobody?" Everybody. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> That's I saw when I texted him. And he was so happy that I did that. And he, he respects my opinion, but he did a fantastic job in his film. Sandra and I here, my better half, we rented it on demand here. It was great. Yeah. And it, and he's like, you know, the underdog guy that becomes a superhero. I right? know. And we, don't really, and we don't really ever get to see that, right? Sometimes the role is written that way, mm-hmm. but it's like Tom Cruise playing that. And you're like, yeah, you're never of the underdog. That's right. You've never been the underdog. You've never been. Keanu you know, Reeves or. Yeah. Yeah. But with Bob, you totally think, yeah, that dude's the underdog, man. He's not the typical, you know yeah. what I mean? Missing I the garbage, him. missing the garbage every day, you know, like the real pushover. Yeah. Yeah. That's the guy that, yeah. you know. And so they did it right. It was perfect in every way for me. And uh, I'm a big fan of that film. That's awesome. Here's two questions. And this is great. The fans are killing it tonight. They're really doing well. Cause I've only, I've, there's only one question I want to ask you of mine. And it's, sure. it's, it's something that we ask every, uh, every guest and you're going to get a kick out of this. Well, I shouldn't say every guest. Cause I always forget Tom Snow started this when Tom co-hosted for 10 episodes here with me and he's coming back. But he's coined this little thing that there's a smell in the Gilliverse. So what the Gilliverse is, is this imaginary place in the universe that encompasses everything Vince Gilligan puts his hands on. And it has a smell. 
Okay. There's a smell in the Gillivers and it smells like this and this, and there is technically a right answer, but what would you think? You hop in the rocket ship with all of our fans here. We jump off into the Gillivers. What does it smell like when we get there? There's two things. It could be like, it could be like water and it could be like, uh, um, okay. It could be like Tom's shoes and, uh, licorice. Okay. That's an example, but that's not the right answer. Yeah. Oh, it's not the right answer. I don't know. For me, it would smell like green chili. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's one. Okay. And what's the next one? And, and, uh, and, um, chemicals. Okay. That's good. That's a very good guess. We'll mark that timestamp so we can put this into a montage later. It is bacon and fear. Bacon and fear. Yeah. Yeah. Who's fear? I don't know. I don't know. Became the bacon? Yeah, right. Maybe, right? Oh, no, man. That's a tough one. I know. I'll send, I'll text you later on a link to a montage that our, one of our friends and fans, Arctic Sakai, put together for us. It's a montage of everybody saying what they think it is. It's hilarious. It's only about two minutes long. Okay, wow. so a question from Marilyn. Then we're going to jump over to the audio questions, and that'll probably conclude our interview. Uh, so Marilyn says, and we've had so many people say this, so many wonderful things about Vince Gilligan. So Marilyn's saying, what was it like working with the legend Vince Gilligan? He... Um is a gentleman first of all so you know i always judge people on their talent second and and judge them on what kind of human being you are first and um he's a super nice caring uh human being and he likes to work with those types of people and i think that's why he's successful that you know the people around him are in that have that same type of respect and love for other people. And that's why you get the genius from him. I think, I think Vince Gilligan could probably write anything and it's the people that he puts together to bring it to life is the reason why he's a damn genius. That's, (laughs) that's, that's what, you know, that guy is because he, everything's thought through Everything is, you know, measured and right. Mm-hmm. I mean, how ironic that, you know, even the chemistry in Breaking Bad was so important to him, right? That he did even that right. Yeah. Um, because he didn't want that to be fake or, or, or not be able to tell a real you know, journey story, you know. So um, th- that's how what I feel about, you know, Vince and that. Uh, if he called me and asked me to do anything, you know, that would another to do something else would be a complete, uh, you know, blessing. And I would be there in a heartbeat. I've, sure. heard, I've heard that from everybody. Uh, Kay Omberger in the chat says Vince Gilligan is a Southern gentleman from the same state as I am in Virginia. Yeah, he's, I've heard nothing, nothing but good. And every, every person who's been on the show is just, just praise. Okay, so we're going to jump over to the audio portion. Normally I do these closer to the top of the hour, and we've got five audio questions, so we should probably be able to get, uh, get them all through here. The first one comes from Andrea. She's a friend and, and member here, and she's in Germany. So here's her question from Germany. Hello, Stephen. We loved you in Breaking Bad in Rule of Gummy. I would like to know more about how you got hired as an actor in Breaking Bad and how it was for you to know that you will also be in Better Call Saul. Thank you and greetings from Germany. Um, you know, I auditioned like everybody else uh, and 
Um, you know, it was a couple of callbacks and I uh, was lucky enough to be in the room with Vince on my last audition. And uh, I think a couple of things worked out in my favor. And I think one is I was actually from Albuquerque and they wanted that element, right? They're, they really wanted an element of Albuquerque because it's just different. It's mm -hmm. different than LA. It's different sure. than Texas. It's different than Arizona. And Vince knew that and he felt that he needed to find as many of those actors that he could. So I think that worked in my favor. And I think my height, uh, the fact that me and Dean were the exact same height, uh, worked in my favor. I think if I'd have been taller than Dean, I might not have gotten the role. Um, you know, you know how those things work out Dynamics. cameras and all of that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a tough business to be in really because you never really know why you didn't get the role. And you really 100% don't even really know why you got the role. All you do is you're happy to have the job and you go and you do the best that you can and you do the homework and you do the work and, you know, and show up. But, uh, um, that's that's how I kind of got the role, like everybody else. Uh, I think he recognized me from like comedy, and you know he hired a lot of comics a to lot. do Breaking Bad and comedy actors. So I think maybe that might have played into you know me being able to play Gomez. I have a feeling if we get uh, if we get Dean on the show here as a guest, I have a, I, just because what I think I know about Dean, I have a feeling he's going to say he's an inch taller than you. Yeah, he is. Is he? He probably will, won't he? He'll say that, won't he? Yeah. But he's, he's going to say, he's going to claim he's an inch taller for sure. Okay. All right. Uh, that he's prettier. He's prettier. Well, let's talk about this uh, uh, this perfume. Uh, maybe he's wearing high heels too. I don't I, know. I always checked, but, you know, I don't, I don't know. He, the way they did his pants, I couldn't really see. There so. you go. We'll have to razz him uh, about that yeah, one. I'm still bummed out that he didn't actually wear the perfume. I know, though. right? Yeah, you got short chains on that one. All right, here's the next audio question. This is from Kathy Lattice, and we'll see what she says here. Hi, Stephen. This is Kathy. I love the bromance between Hank and Gomi from Sage versus Green, Buzzards and Shitwagons, and even Dying Together. They're really close. What's your true relationship like with Dean Norris? Thank you. So you touched base a little bit on it, but you can go over it again. Yeah, that's my brother, man. Dean Norris is still my brother. He'll always be my brother. I'd go into a real gunfight with Dean, man. I mean, that's that's how much we're brothers. Um, you know, I shot a comedy special out here in New Mexico, and he came out. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's my brother. You know, he, he showed up and was, wanted to hang out in the green room with me before I went out and shot it. And, you know, I mean, who who does that, right? What kind, of, what kind of friend does that? But you're a good friend, you know, somebody who cares for you in that way. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a bromance. We're definitely bros. And, uh, you know, we're, we, I think we both feel we're blessed that we got to meet each other. That's nice. Off, off camera. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. I want to say a thank you to Richard O'Brien, a super chat as well, too. So thank you, Richard, for that. We appreciate that. Uh, next audio question is from Lori. Hi there, Stephen. This is Lori. Can you please tell us how your appearance in the music video, Give Me Back My Hometown, all came about? I spotted James Ning, who played Dwayne Chow from Breaking Bad in the video, too. Thanks so much. So, yeah, Eric Church was out here shooting, you know, music videos. And uh, um, somebody said they knew me. And he was like, no way. What do you, you think you play the priest in, in my music video? And so um, I didn't know much about Eric Church at the time. I do know. I know now. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a huge star <laughs> and a huge country star. 
Um, but uh, I just thought I'd never done a music video and that would be kind of cool to do, right? And, and so, you know, I accepted and I had a blast and it was, it was, you know, it was all the people here in the industry here working on it. So I was kind of hanging out with your friends and, you know, shooting something. So it was, it was fun. So that's, that's how that happened. Though. Lots of stuff happening out there, isn't there? Lots of stuff. Uh, next question is from Karina. Uh, Karina is one of our moderators, friends, and, and helps us uh, greatly with the channel as well, too. Here is her question. Hi, Stephen. My name is Karina. You've said the plan was to originally kill off Gomez in season one, just like Jesse. Would you say that the writer strike was a huge blessing in disguise? It's 100%. I think the writer strike was sent by, by God above to save Gomez, you know? Uh, yeah, he was, him and Jesse were, yeah, we were, we were kind of earmarked to be out in the first season. That was going to be the big climax of the first, uh, season. I believe I never read them, but this is what Vince had told us all that. And, uh, yeah, man, the writing strike saved, uh, I think it really saved the show. Um, I think that if they'd have killed Gomez, they might've been able to find a, another partner that, you know, could have come in and been okay. I don't think they would have been able to replace Jesse. Yeah. So, yeah. I think it would have changed the whole show. So the writer strike was definitely not only a blessing for me and Aaron Paul, but I think for breaking bad fans and breaking bad itself. Can you imagine they come back into the writer's room after the strike and are like, okay, we're, we're forgetting something. Were we supposed to do something? No, I don't think so. We're supposed to kill off Gomez. No, 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 nothing at all. Carry on. Yeah. I think what they did is they really liked the, you know, the chemistry between me and Dean Norris. They just, they go, we can't get rid of that. That's just too strong. It's too, and we established it in the first, you know, seven episodes. And, and they were like, no, man, we're going to have to stick with that for a while. Maybe later down the road. Yeah. But then, you know, they saved it and they saved it all the way, you know, to the end, which was, which was great for me for sure. I did have a question. This could be related to this before we go to the last audio question here. Um, so you talked earlier about how Gomez really didn't look up to Hank as his boss, even though he was. And and a lot of people, myself included, looked at, at um, kind of Gomez as the moral compass so somewhat for Hank. And, you know, Hank certainly wasn't a by-the-book um, cop, you know, and, and Gomez was. If Gomez wasn't there and there's somebody else, man or woman, as a partner, do you think Hank would have gone down deeper holes of kind of bending the law? I was going to say illegalities, but uh, if that's a word. Uh, but do you think he would have broke more rules? I I think so. I think there was a thing that in the back of his mind, you know, he had to worry about his job. And that Gomez, although loved him very much, he was a by-the-book guy. And and I, and I think more of him trying not to get Gomez into trouble. Yeah. I, I think that Gomez would have done whatever it took to protect Hank, but I think Hank kept himself from going too far over the deep end because he didn't want to do that to Gomez, right? It wasn't, it wasn't worth it in the long run to do that. And when he finally convinced Gomez to not go by the book, well, you all saw what happened when that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Our last audio question of the evening. This is from Josh, and here is Josh's question. I believe this one is in regards to uh, your role as a commissioner and uh, and how it applies to the real world of law, something along of that line. Hey, Stephen. Josh here. My question is, as an elected official, have you seen anything in a 
Breaking Bad script or anything in a Better Call Saul episode that made you shake your head that this is not how New Mexico law works and you just had to call up Vince or Peter and say, hey buddy, you got this wrong. And if so, what was it? Thanks a lot, man. Sure, sure. I, you know, I think, uh, you know, some of the slang that they use uh, isn't really the slang that we use here for like, you know, like Burke or 505. And, and I think they should have used a lot of those, you know, terminologies that would have made it a lot more, you know, New Mexican and definitely uh, Albuquerque, you know. Um, they tried, you know, um, there was some stuff that didn't really fit the fit culturally, but all the other stuff was spot on, you know, I mean, the, the storyline, the, the chemistry, um, you know, the, uh, what people ate, you know, a lot of burger, the doghouse, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those, those are staples of, um, of, you know, restaurants here in, in Albuquerque, um, you know, they hit, they hit a lot of them. There's only a couple of little minute things that just weren't, you know, uh, what we, the, the, the slang and the, and the language that we use, but everything else was spot on. But then again, that's television too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to take some creative freedom there a little bit. So you yeah. were, we'll, we'll be wrapping up here in a second, but you were in two episodes of uh, season five of Better Call Saul. Are you still watching? Did you watch all of season five and you're looking forward to see what's going to happen in season six? Yeah, you know, I'm excited about, you know, uh, Bob Odenkirk's success more than anything, right? And, and he's done such a brilliant job in Better Call Saul. He's just so awesome. And Ray Seahorn and Jonathan Banks. And, you know, you go down that cast, too, and tell you how, how awesome everybody is and how believable they are. Um, Javier Grajeda, man, I really like Javier Grajeda. He doesn't get a whole lot of love. Uh, also, but he's such a great actor, and he's done such a great job. Maybe, maybe you could have Javier Brajela on your show. He's, uh, you know, he's really good, uh, and he's a good dude. You'll like it. You'll have you'll love talking to him. He's, he's, yeah. He's, every time he comes into town, we we go eat and hang out. We'll hang out for a while because we became really good friends. I'll share my number um, with him for sure. That'd be great. I'd love to explore some dialogue. Yeah, um, and so you know, um, it was just an honor. Uh, look, it was so fun just to be with Dean playing Hank and Gomez again that, that, you know, we didn't think that was ever going to happen. And so it was really fun to do that. And we were just really excited, both of us, to be a part of, you know, the story before, you know, Breaking Bad, which Mm -hmm. was kind of cool that, 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 you know, the writers in the writing, writing room cared enough about Hank and Gomez that they felt, that, that they needed to give the Better Call Saul fans a little taste of that. So uh, it was an honor to be there for sure. Well, especially with the last time you were together on screen was such a, a, a horrific, sad loss for two two uh, great characters at the same time. And now yeah. to relive, you know, kind of just have a little bit, just a little bit more Gomi and a little bit more Hank, right? It was right? the original Hank and Gomi, right? It wasn't the Hank and Gomi later, right? It was the original I know. Hank. And we love doing that. Right? That's so awesome. We were the comic relief before Bob Odenkirk, right? Technically, that's right. Yeah, and then when Bob Odenkirk came in, they they put more depth and more stuff into our characters. And so we kind of missed being the comic relief. So it was great to be the comic relief in Better Call Saul, for sure. Oh, for sure. 
Yeah, once Bob comes in, the comedy comes up. So they got to got to balance oh, that. Then him, yeah, then he brings it up a whole other level and in a different direction, which was great. You know, we, I love doing those scenes. And you know, come on, Max Arciniega, Crazy Eight. Come on, man, he's awesome. Man. He is. I have to be able to do scenes with him was just a pleasure. And uh, you know, another guy I love very much. We Breaking Bad is a family. It's oh, for sure. That'll never go away. Uh, we'll always be friends. We'll always stay in touch. Uh, and we check on each other from here, from, you know, here and there. Even Giancarlo checks on me from, from time to time, and I check on him, you know. Awesome. That's just who we are. Giancarlo was here about three weeks back. We had a wonderful discussion with him as well, and uh, Max has been on as well, too. Wonderful conversation. You know, yeah. just it's, it's great. And we, we use the hashtag on Twitter a lot and, and on Instagram, Gilverse Family, because that's what it is. It's a family, and, you know, that's what a lot of people in the chat here watching right now, they love the Friday nights, get to talk to their favorite actors here, and, and you know, producers, writers, all of that, and, and, and me too. I just push the buttons and facilitate it, and it's so yeah. wonderful getting to speak to someone like yourself, you know, have 60 minutes of time, and believe it or not, it's 60 minutes feels like 15 it goes so fast but yeah. i want to i want to personally thank you so much for your time and i hope yeah. you and your wife have a, and your kids have a wonderful weekend this weekend we will thanks so much for inviting me and all you breaking bad fans thank you so much um you know nothing happens without you uh all the hard work and everything is nothing if it isn't if you're not there to support it and back us up and you've been the best fans for any tv show ever made man so we we appreciate you 100 percent. and again eric thank you so much and uh you know good luck out there in canada and i hope everything you know turns around for you guys up there and, and we're wishing the same thing for this country that you know we find our way back to you know being great loving caring human beings very well said. Thank you very much as well, too. And we're all in this together. We're going to get through it. Vaccines are rolling out. Things are looking pretty good. You just be, be patient. We will do it. You know, there's obstacles, but we'll get through it. Yeah. And do me a favor and put a bug in uh, Dean's ear as well, too. That'd will, be fantastic. That'd be great. Well, don't go away. I'm going to say goodbye to you off the air. Everyone, thank you so much. We'll look forward to seeing you same time next week. We had a reschedule. We've got Larry Hankin on next week, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. You know him as old Joe from uh, Breaking Bad and El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. So look forward to seeing you next week as well, too. And I have to go through my usual list here because if I don't read my list, I forget. So uh, a big thank you to my beautiful Sandra Lee, our executive producer of the show. This would not happen without her. Uh, we want to thank our show sponsors, uh, Warren, Rachel, and team at bobbleheads.com. You can pick up the brand new Saul Goodman uh, bobblehead at Breaking Bad Store ABQ. Links in the description and throughout our chat here as well too. Uh, we want to thank our Patreon, our channel members, our Patreon supporters, our channel moderators, our YouTube subscribers, our super chatters, PayPal donators, and those that purchase our merch from our store broadcast boutique. You see what I'm wearing right now? You can pick it up there. And if you want to check us out on Instagram or Facebook, you can find us at Inside the Gilliverse. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Have a safe weekend, everyone, and fun. And we will see you next Friday right here on Inside the Gilliverse. Until then, cheers. Thanks again for tuning in to Inside the Gilliverse with Eric Broadbent. Be sure to check back each week for more great discussions and interviews with cast and crew from Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul.